Hey everyone, this is Jamie Bateman. Real quickly, I wanted to share with you something uh, that's been pivotal in the growth and success of my businesses, and that is my partnership with Haven Financial Services. Um, I've been working with Haven for over a year now. Christine Valdez was on episode 70 of this podcast. So go check that out if you want to hear her story. It was a fantastic personal story for sure. But Haven has been awesome. They provide me with monthly reports that are super clear and discernible. And it, that provides me with clarity and focus so that I can do what I do best, which is running my businesses, not preparing financial reports. Um, again, if you're in the market for a top-notch financial service company, uh, or if you just want to check one out, go to www.jamiebateman slash Haven and check out Haven Financial Services. Again, that's jamiebateman slash Haven. I uh, can't recommend them enough. Christine and her team have been fantastic. So I definitely recommend you check out Haven Financial Services at www.jamiebateman forward slash Haven. Let's get back to the show. This episode is awesome. Rick Yarish uh, is a motiva motivational speaker. Um, he is a retired U.S. Army sergeant and a husband and father of two. Uh, he served in Iraq for nine months before he was severely injured and burned um, badly in the Abu Ghraib area in September of 2006. So, um, Man, he's got some incredible perspective on hardship and, um, you know, embracing your hardship, bringing a sense of purpose and serving others uh, and a sense of uh, levity as well. He's got a really good sense of humor. So, um, man, this was an awesome episode. Rick is uh, a part of Sweethearts and Heroes, and they go around and they speak with um Largely schools, a lot of times it sounds like middle schools, they're very busy. He's flying around the country, you know, the better part of the year, most weeks, um, doing public speaking. And uh, it's just a, an inspirational story. Um, we talk about how no one is is really self-made, if we're honest, and how you need to be willing to ask for help when you're at rock bottom. Um, but that, you know he talks about another gold nugget he dropped was that um, people say everything happens for a reason. And he pushes back a little bit on that. Um, I'm not going to spoil it. You're going to have to list, listen for it. Um, but he's got an interesting take on that and whether everything actually does happen for a reason or not. Um, so fantastic episode. Buckle up. Welcome to the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. Are you an entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur? Then this show is for you. Each week, we bring you impactful stories of real people who have overcome painful human adversity to create a life of abundance. A life of abundance. You are not alone in your struggle. Join us and you will experience the power of true stories and gain practical knowledge from founders who have turned poverty into prosperity and weakness into wealth. This podcast will encourage you through your health, relationship, and financial challenges so you can become the hero in your quest for freedom. Take ownership of the life you are destined to live. Turn your adversity into abundance. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Bateman, and I'm thrilled today 
we have with us a special guest, Rick Yarish. Um, Rick is with uh, Sweethearts and Heroes. Um, we're going to dive into his story in a little bit. Rick, how are you doing today? I am doing amazing, Jamie, and I am actually thrilled to be here uh, with you as well. Awesome. Now, where are you, uh, where are you joining us from? Uh, I am in Vestal, New York, um, okay. a little town uh, outside of Binghamton, New York. Got it. Okay. And for the for the listener out there, you know, what are you up to today? What is your, give us a little more of a snapshot of your your life as it is today? Yeah, sure. So you know, injured seventeen years ago in Iraq, but today that um, really what that had done for me was lead me to a lot of amazing things in my life. And uh, today I'm married. I have. Uh, children. I have two daughters, Grace and Tenley. Um, and my life makes me travel. You know, I, I'm a, around New York State, um, really the Northeast, speaking to students about hope. And uh, I know a lot about hope because I also know a lot about hopelessness. Um, hmm. The times in my life that I felt hopeless, uh, I learned a lot from them. And, uh, you know, through what happened to me, I can tell you today that what happened to me was the best thing that ever happened to me. Hmm. And, um, that's just powerful to know for somebody who's really struggling through something. And then someday they can maybe look at it as one of the best things that's ever happened to them. Hmm. So that's where I'm at today. I'm, I never thought I'd be in this spot and this position <laughs> sure. with this mindset, but here I am and I'm blessed, extremely blessed. That's fantastic. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm excited to to dive in now. Uh, not that I wasn't before, but I'm even more excited now. And, yes. and uh, I know you also mentioned before we hit record that, you also own a restaurant, so we're going to dive into that a little bit as well. Um, so, you know, this the, our podcast is all about adversity and overcoming adversity and mindset and how, how you handle that and the lessons um, that you we can all learn from adversity, that, that we can learn from our own adversity and the adversity of others, um, applying the, those lessons in our own lives and getting to a level of abundance and Obviously, everyone's story is different with regard to what does that adversity look like? What does that abundance look like? Um, in your case, I mean, is, this, is not, this is obviously very, very apparent and and serious adversity that you went through. So let's let's uh, let's dive in. It sounds like you and I were actually had a little bit of crossover in 2006 um, that we were both in in Iraq at the same time. Um, so. Let, let's jump back. Where would you like to start? 2006? Yeah, I mean, that's the day everything changed. You know, that's, um, I mean, there was a big decision before that, and that was joining the military in uh, 2004. Sure. And I tell people today that it was the best decision that I've ever made um, because it led to the best thing that ever happened to me. Like I had hmm. told you, the best thing that that's ever happened a, to me. That's awesome perspective. Yeah. So talk talk about that decision. It's, why did you join the military? I, I know you, you walk through a barracks of uh, army soldiers, enlisted men, E1s who um, when you're walking through that barracks and you're seeing those bunks and you're meeting these guys, most of them didn't know where to fit in elsewhere. Uh, mm -hmm. I'd say that's sure. most of the reason people join. And, you know, you got the big other ones. I have my big reasons. 9-11, absolutely a part sure. of that. But I think a lot of it is like, I don't know what else I want to do. And I don't know where I'm at. I need something. And the sure. military was that thing for me. I needed a change in my life. You know, I graduated high school in 2000. Um, I did a lot of odd cooking jobs. I worked at a pizza at Uno, a Subway, a bunch of different pizza places, bar and grills. And that's not what I wanted to do the rest of my life. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I did college and it wasn't for me. I think I went mm-hmm. twice. Uh, like, <laughs> not, not very good. Um, but the, like when I graduated high school, I thought that diploma was going to change my life. Like the diploma sure. was handed to me and everything changed. And yeah, it's just not how it works. You, as sure. we know, as adults, like nothing changes unless we decide to make a change. Absolutely. So, um, I didn't. I love that. But that was one of the reasons was um, I just needed a place to go. I needed to make a change in my life. 9-11, sure. like I said. Um, yeah. But a pride that I had from 9-11, you know, anger. Mm-hmm. For sure, but that's not the the reason I joined. Yeah, it was the pride of people coming together. Yeah, that's uh, what drove me to it. Yeah, that's interesting. I I certainly don't hope for another nine eleven. No. Please don't. Uh, you know, I hope hopefully no one no one missed uh, quotes me on this. But no, I'm but, with uh, you. I already know what you're gonna say. Yeah, man. It's just I was talking with uh, some friends a couple of weeks ago, and and it's like our nation is so divided and so <laughs> polarized, and just everything's a hot button issue and everyone's offended. And, you know, I don't want to go too far on this, but basically, you know, I I thought I had the thought and I said it out loud. It's almost like we need another, you know, tragedy like that to bring us together. We're waiting for it. We're waiting for another tragedy. And that's so silly. Why do we wait for, I would, I would even tell you that tragedy could be avoided Mm. by coming together. You know, like let's not even just come together before the tragedy. Let's avoid the tragedy by coming together. Like, come on, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But I'm with you. I joined after 9-11. I joined in 2003. And, um, you know, and and absolutely one of the themes of, of our podcast that's in hindsight, looking back, that that, that um, it really has been a, a pattern or a thread through many of the episodes, I would say probably every episode really, is that people need a sense of purpose. They need a sense of connection, um, a sense of being part of something bigger than themselves. And so, you know, I know for me, I was, I had athletics going on, but then that was gone. And now it's, you know, so it's, then it was now what, what am I, what am I plugged into? What am I serving? You know, so for me, it was similar to you in that sense that it was, I needed to be a part of something bigger than myself. And, and um, so those are, you know, I, I can totally identify and I know our listener can identify maybe not on the military front, but um, yeah. everyone needs to be connected and serving a greater cause, a greater purpose. Um, so kudos to you for making that decision. So you, you, um, you get deployed, you're, you're in Iraq in 2006, take it from there. Yeah. So, um, nine months into my deployment, I was there, I was in Iraq for uh, nine months. We had moved around, uh, Baghdad area. We were never directly in the center of the city. Um, mm-hmm. but we were on the outskirts of the city and, uh, Nine months into the deployment, I was in the area of uh, Abu Ghraib, mm-hmm. uh, the, inf- yeah. the infamous Abu Ghraib. Sure. We actually we actually lived inside of the prison um, when mm. we hand when we handed it back over to um, the Iraqis. Now we didn't work in the prison; that was just our barracks. Uh, we lived Got in it. the pr- prison cells, um, so we were okay. not there when all of that bad, bad, awful sure. stuff happened. So you um, you were, but you had a lot of interaction with the Iraqis themselves, it sounds like, right? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we had, you know, some of the um, the little tiny bases that we lived on, uh, the patrol bases yep. that we lived on, had Iraqi army living on them as well. So yeah, Got I had it. a lot of inter- interaction yeah. to the sense that I spoke none of their language and they spoke <laughs> none of mine, sure. but yeah. we saw each other all the time. Got it. No, I was just curious because I was, I was yeah. on a MIT team and we were yeah. living with the Iraqi army essentially and training them and um, the, those interpreters that you alluded to are critical, uh, you know, so, but yeah, it, it's, uh, 
man, it's a, it's an experience for sure. So you're there for nine months and then yeah. on September 1st, everything changed for you. Talk about yeah. that. I, you know, I almost say it's the day my life turned upside down, but I guess maybe that's what my life needed to do was turn upside down. Mm. But yeah, so September 1st, um, 2006, 2006 just, yep. yeah, 2006, uh, I was in a, a convoy, um, um, you know, going out on a mission and I can't even tell you exactly what the mission was today. I think we were going to meet somebody in one of the little villages there. Um, mm -hmm. one of the sheiks that was there and we were going mm -hmm. to, um, we were going to, you know, just is every day, this, the same kind of thing every day. You know, we don't, we say we don't do presence patrols, but there were presence mm -hmm. patrols and mm -hmm. that's kind of the stuff we were doing. Um, but we were the fifth, vehicle in our convoy we had five vehicles um three humvees mm. two bradleys we were the rear vehicle which means rear security which mm. also means all you can see is the dust that's being kicked up from the vehicles in front of you so mm -hmm. not ideal position to be in so we decided to move up to the fourth uh vehicle mm. and um not even two minutes after we moved up to being the fourth vehicle um our bradley was hit with an ied mm. uh, improvised explosive device for those that don't know and mm -hmm. um the explosion went through the bottom of the vehicle up into the turret where I was sitting. I was the gunner in the mm. vehicle. And um, for those that don't know anything about the Bradley, in the turret mm -hmm. of the Bradley is also where we have our fuel tank. Mm -hmm. And that uh, hit the fuel tank, uh, causing, you know, bigger fire. And uh, instantly I was on fire and knew the first thing I had to do, if I had any chance to survive any of this, I had to get out of the vehicle. I couldn't think about tomorrow. I couldn't even think about being outside of the vehicle. I just had to get out. And mm -hmm. that's what I did. I climbed through the top hatch, uh, which I left open that day, which normally we do not because of chemical attacks. We keep all the mm -hmm. hatches closed. Sure. I left it open. And I'm so, so thankful mm -hmm. and uh, so, so blessed that I did because I wouldn't have gotten out otherwise. So I climbed through the top. Yeah, it's crazy that I did. And I think it's because my buddy Montez, who was uh, the commander standing mm -hmm. next to me, he actually was standing on his seat that day, which meant he was outside of the vehicle as well. Um, which means he left his hatch open. So I okay. think that's why so I left it open. The hatch being open or closed is is kind of an option you have because I'm I'm not familiar with Bradley. I mean, I understand I know what they are, but I I, right. I didn't have uh, firsthand knowledge of Bradley. So it's just an option. But for the most part, you were you generally kept them closed, right? Yeah, we kept them closed. I mean, we called it being buttoned up. Um, we sure. would shut everything down that way nothing sure. could get so if we were in like a combat situation you know sure. montez would have hopped down in and we would have closed all the hatches sure um but a lot of times we just rolled out that way but as you know in iraq it's not cool and uh it's extremely <laughs> no, hot no any kind of breeze at all was helpful in the bradley i mean it was 120 degrees outside anyways and then inside sure. the bradley it was so hot so yeah. we tried to leave them open when we could but not often sure. Makes so sense. And, and yeah, there's a lot of discretion in those kind of details as far as day to day. Yeah. You're, you're doing this every day, like you said, over right. and over and over. So, all right. So the hatch is open. And so there's a huge explosion, sounds like, and you're literally on fire and you, you, you've got to get out of the vehicle. And then what happens? Yeah, I'm engulfed every single you know, part of my body was on fire. Um, I can remember wearing my CBC, you know, with the uh, rubber mm -hmm. pieces over the ears uh, for the, to hear the um, rust from the radio. And I can remember getting outside of the vehicle. And when I got to the top of the vehicle, I can remember it like melting and it was still connected inside of the vehicle. So I had to get it off. And uh, it, um, I can remember it was melting to my 
in my my face, but I couldn't see. I could only feel that. I couldn't see anything because my face was on fire and the fire was covering my eyes. But I knew I had to jump off of the vehicle. Like it didn't matter sure. how high it was off the ground, ten feet. That's right. how high the turret it's, is it's, to the ground. It's all bad options at this point. I mean, that's right. Yeah, I'm not taking time. I'm not taking time to climb down the vehicle. I don't even know where the vehicle is. The edges. I'm just gonna jump and. Pray I'm off of the vehicle. And that's what I did. Yeah, there were no options. It was jump. Sure, um, sure. So I did jump. I took that leap of faith. And um, I did make it to the ground. But when I landed on the ground, since I couldn't see it, I um, didn't land safely. I broke my leg. I severed an artery in my leg when I broke it. And, um, you know, they amputated my leg uh, four days later in the uh, hospital. Wow. But now uh, I'm on the ground. And, you know, so I did the two steps. I, you know, got out of the vehicle and I got off of the vehicle, but now I got to get mm-hmm. the fire up. And just like we're all taught to do when we're four or five years old, stop, drop and roll. And I'm right. was rolling around on the ground. And when I think of stop, drop and roll, I think of rolling back and forth and back and forth. It's not like rolling sure. in one direction. So I was yeah. rolling back and forth. And, um, and I don't know if this is something they should teach, but, you know, stop, drop and roll does not work when you're engulfed in flames and you're covered mm-hmm. in fuel. It doesn't work. Um, there's other ways to put the fire out, but that's what I was taught to do. And that's what I did, but it Mm. didn't work. And, uh, when I realized it didn't work and it was the only thing I knew how to do. And honestly, I couldn't stand up and run because my leg was already broken. And, um, I, even if I could, where was I going? My my face was on fire. I couldn't see. So, um, I gave up, I gave up and, uh, I say, I talk about hope a lot and, uh, I know a lot about hope. But uh, I said, I know a lot about hope because I know a lot about hopelessness. And in that moment, I was hopeless. Uh, I didn't think I was going to make it. I just did stop, drop, and roll. I couldn't put the fire out. I stared up into the sky, and I just accepted that I would die. And wow. uh, biggest regret of my life right there because hmm. um, I will never give up again, ever. Hmm. I don't care how difficult it gets. And that doesn't mean I won't succumb to something someday. Obviously I will, but I will fight until the very end. I don't care how hard it is. Um, I will never give up again. I will never have to hold that regret again in my life. And Hmm. to Sweethearts and Heroes, the the organization that I work with, hope stands for hold on possibilities exist. Hmm. Like if you don't hold on, you're never going to find out the amazing possibilities that exist for you. And I didn't know what they were that day. Like, would I wrestle or play football again? Uh, that was kind of something. Would I uh, be a doctor someday? Probably not. I didn't get very good grades in school. But um, Or would I be presenting to students and adults someday? You know, I didn't know. <laughs> sure. It didn't matter. I was giving up on all of it that day. If you give up hope, then you're definitely not doing any of that, right? No. Um, so, but just so tactically, I mean, this is, there's, I mean, it's, there's nothing... I can say that you know, I don't know what that's what that's like, but tactically, you know, what could you have done if you had you not given up hope? What what should you have done in hindsight? Anything. Hmm. Got it. I don't I don't know the answer, but anything. Hmm. I don't. You know, the the answer is never nothing, and that's kind of what I'm figuring. Sure. And sometimes you don't know what the right is, but. Doing anything will help you maybe find out what that answer is. Doing nothing will certainly not. And that's (laughs) what I did. But um, I only gave up hope for a second. And, you know, the hopelessness that I'm talking about, it's not only me in life and death situations. We all deal with difficult things in our life and hopelessness and lack of hope. And hold on, man. Come on. You're going to find out that there's really amazing things. Even in something that's difficult, 
that you've been doing for a long time that you love doing and you say, I don't want to do it anymore because it's gotten too hard in my life. All right. Sure. Well, I mean, that is giving up and you will yeah. find out that you're never going to see the results from getting through it. And yeah. uh, you're never going to get to experience the reward that comes from getting through that difficult thing. It's difficult for a reason. That probably means there's a really big reward at the end uh, when you get through it. That's really, so, that's really good. Eventually. Yeah, so yeah, go ahead. I, I rolled in one direction. I just kept rolling in one direction instead of rolling back and forth, trying to put the fire out. Eventually I rolled mm-hmm. in one direction and I actually fell into one of the canals um, in Iraq. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Okay. Save, save my life, put the fire out, save my life. You know, um, also almost killed me because of how dirty it was, how <laughs> filthy the water was. I ended up extremely sick in the hospital from it, um, but huh. it saved my life. And if I was in the same situation again, I'd roll into it again, knowing that it would almost kill me. So, so and that that was intentional or that's just you just found yourself there? That's just where I found myself. I had gotcha. no idea that there was even I mean, I knew there were canals all over sure. the roads that we but yeah, I was when I was rolling, I wasn't thinking I'm gonna fall into a canal. I was just rolling right. because it, that it was that scenario. Don't do right. nothing, do something. Um, and that was what I was doing, just something. And sure. I ended up in that canal. Wow. Okay, so obviously you're you're still here. I mean, so, so what happened? Who got you out of the canal? What, what happened after that? Yeah. So we had, uh, we had our, we had snipers. We were, so I'm a scout, uh, cavalry scout and, um, we had snipers attached to us. And, uh, one of our, uh, snipers found me and one of the, actually the, the Bradley that ended up moving behind us, the commander of that vehicle, um, mm-hmm. found me as well. So they came down before they found me though. Everybody thought I was still in the vehicle. Which hmm. means they thought I was gone because if I wasn't out of that vehicle at that point, I was dead. Um, so they thought they didn't even think I had gotten out of the vehicle because there was so much smoke and fire that hmm. it was, everything was a mess. So they sure. thought I was still inside. Um, eventually, they heard me yelling and uh, they came down and uh, found me. And one of them grabbed under my arms and then the other one grabbed my legs. And as soon hmm. as they grabbed my leg, that's mm-hmm. when I felt real pain uh, from mm-hmm. the break of my leg. I said, Hey, my leg is broken, you know, grab mm-hmm. up higher. So he grabbed up higher. They carried me out and, um, one, you know, they hung out with me and were helping me because you know, I was going through a lot, obviously at that moment, and not just me, but my buddies who were watching me, they're going mm-hmm. through a lot too. And my other sure. buddies who were in the vehicle with me, they're going through. So it's chaos. Um, sure. I mean, at that point, you can start hearing the rounds of the Bradley cooking off mm-hmm. from the fire, and it's just chaos. Um, so, from a physical standpoint, was anyone else wounded or injured? Yeah. So, uh, Sergeant Montez, who was the commander, who was the one uh, standing next to me on his seat, mm-hmm. uh, he was burned very badly. And then, uh, Sergeant, uh, or sorry, Specialist Lowe, he was our uh, driver. And uh, he was burned as well. Um, he was in the front of the vehicle, so most of his burns were on his uh, on his back. But um, Sergeant Montez actually did not make it. He ended up uh, wow. passing away. Yeah, so he made it to the hospital, but uh, seven days later he passed away. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I mean, it's heavy, heavy stuff, man. Um, so you know, obviously, we we could spend you know the entire episode talking about your recovery and all that, and there's a you know, ton we're just going to have to gloss right over, of course. Yeah. But but talk about your recovery specifically from a a mindset standpoint. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's you know what's going through your mind in in the ensuing uh, days and weeks? Yeah, me- the mental mess that I was sure. in. You know, I can't imagine. Physically, sure, I was a mess. Um, 
But a lot of that recovery came in the hands of other people helping me do it, like the doctors and nurses, like uh, our physical therapists, occupational therapists. Like a, a lot of that stuff was kind of out of my hands. Um, mm-hmm. Some of it was up to me for sure, getting out of bed, but being pushed to get out of bed. Like we talk yeah. about sweethearts in uh, the sweethearts and heroes world. The sweethearts are the carriers of hope, but really, so we speak anti-bullying in schools and um, we can say we can, we can take the word bullying right out of the presentation. It's the same message about taking care of each other. Mm-hmm. But if you look back in the 16th century, when the word bully was invented, uh, it actually meant sweetheart. and mm. Yeah, it was somebody in your life who pushed you over and over and over again. And sometimes they did it and made you uncomfortable by doing it, which sounds like the bully of today, but right. they pushed you to make you better. Like they huh. knew what you were capable of and they saw your potential. So my physical therapists were into my room and Rick, man, you got to get up. You got to get out of that bed. I know you're dealing mm-hmm. with a lot. I don't want you to have to do this, but you have to do this. Um, mm-hmm. So they were pushing me. That's, you know, some of the sweethearts in my life. Sure. I hope, hope they have given me. So. Um, that recovery was a mess because mentally I was a mess. And the first time I saw my face, that was the biggest thing. Uh, one of the biggest things recognizing that. So I actually saw my face in uh, the reflection of my laptop four months wow. in. Yeah. So you weren't even, you weren't even planning to see it. I mean, it wasn't, no, no, nobody wanted me to see my face. They covered the mirror in my room. They, they covered it with old pictures. Um, mm-hmm. so that if I ever went by in my wheelchair, I couldn't see it. So, um, they didn't want me to see it. My mom brought me my laptop one day and set it on my lap. Didn't think of anything about it. I didn't think anything about it and sure. opened it up. And there was my face in that right. um, reflection. And wow. as soon as I saw myself, it was like, do I even really want to get out of the hospital? You know, my whole goal up until that point was I can't wait to leave this place. And then I sure. saw myself and it's like, do I even want to? Like, huh. Who's going to accept me? Who's going to give me opportunity? A big mm-hmm. one that people don't want to talk about. And it's hard to talk about, but who's going to choose to love me? Mm-hmm. Like that's part of it. Um, so all that was flooding in. But again, thankfully, I had amazing people that were surrounding me at that time when mm-hmm. that, in that hospital and giving me the hope that I needed and helped me out through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm telling you right now that the recovery, the mental part of it was extremely difficult. And you know, I will take very little credit um, for a lot of my mental well-being. Um, mm. A lot of it, yeah, I had to want to get better. That's for sure. I had to have sure. that. But sure. I needed other people to help me. Mm. And so so many people are so against accepting help from others because then they can't tell other people, I did it on my own. <laughs> or, yeah. Yeah. or, you know, two of the worst words that I... I can't stand it, but I know people say it and I just know they're misunderstanding it, but they can't say no longer that they're self-made. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually literally just thinking of saying that about self-made millionaires and you you know, all this stuff. Nobody's self-made. No, let's be honest. Not one single person. Yeah. And I'm not, yeah, I'm not one to call people out. I'm not, I'm not, that's not me. That's not who I am. I'm not here to make anyone uncomfortable, but when I hear self-made, this is a tough one for people to hear. What I really hear is somebody saying that they're selfishly made because Mm. they can't give anyone else credit. Like, dude, even the bad people in your life affected your life. Even those bad people, they affected your life to help you get to where you are today. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And that's, 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 I mean, it's, 
yes, we have a ton of influence over our own uh, day-to-day life, generally speaking, and our and our future. And we, we should take control. We should take ownership of our own, you know, well-being and our own um, actions. Take responsibility for our lives, um, mm-hmm. whether that's financial, whether that's you know anything else. But you're not. <laughs> none of us are you know, God, or, you know, it's, it's like you, you, you're, you're one person, um, you know, you being in the situation that you were to have this explosion happen, wasn't all you're doing either. I mean, there were, you know, there are a lot of other factors. Um, and so, so what are one or two, so it sounds like one of the lessons you learned through this, the, the recovery process from a mental standpoint is that you need help. You need other people, um, you know, to be a part of your own well being. Um, what other lessons did you learn through that recovery process? Yeah. So in that same thing, you know, like I've just realized that if I cannot do something on my own, which there are absolutely things I can't do on my own, there's things you can't do on your own, Jamie, there's things that everybody that's listening right now cannot do on their own. And if they don't ask for help, it will never get done. Like that is silly. So um, eat that pride for a second and ask for help when you can't do something that I've learned to do that. So that's absolutely one thing that I've learned. And today also, I've learned that, um, you know, that's when I hear that saying, um, you know, uh, everything happens for a reason. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm not a true buyer of that saying in itself. I don't want to put quotes just around that sentence. Um, I want to put quotes around everything happens for a reason if I make it for a reason. Mm. Because if I got blown up and I sat in my room the rest of my life, which people would have accepted because they would have been like, oh, Rick, you know, the war veteran who was injured very badly and he's dealing with a lot. So let's just leave him alone. Like, what is it for then? Mm. I don't know. That's a really good point. Yeah. Um, yeah, Everything, leaving it. Yeah. You're, you're, there's a there's some nuance there and and I get what you're saying it's it's um you know everything happens for a reason can lead you to to play more of the victim mentality the victim card and um not be a part of your um creating that that reason or creating purpose out of that adversity right yeah um so that's that's really interesting yeah I hadn't thought of it like that exactly so um what did your so walk us through kind of the next you know few years how how did your life go um you know from 2006 through say 2010 what did that look like um you know so you you talked about it earlier um having a sense of purpose in this world and joining mm-hmm. the military is such a big part of that and now it was sure. taken from me like that purpose that I sure. had. And, you know, we talk about the number of suicides and veterans every mm-hmm. day and how many there are. And I know the number was 22 for a long time. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. still where we're at, but I know it's too high no matter mm-hmm. how many people, how many, uh, or how, what that number is. But, is that, um, so, so that's 22. 22 service members every day. Every day. Lives. Yeah. The veterans. Wow. Uh, yeah. Some, a person that has served in the military, active duty sure. or a veteran. And wow. that number is obviously too high. And, um, but you know, I don't think it's, um, too disproportionate to the rest of the world as well. Like, um, not just veterans as people, but I would say with veterans, you know, you have, you talked about it, having such a purpose in the military and then, then you get out of the military willingly or not, whether you Mm -hmm. choose to or not, all of a sudden it's hard to find the same kind of purpose Mm -hmm. when you're defending a nation. 
Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. I think, I think people struggle with that. Like they get out and they're like trying to find a purpose that's equal, equivalent. Sure. And it's hard to do. Yeah, um, I think your your entire identity is wrapped up in that. And 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 for good reason, right? I mean, it's I'm not yeah. knocking that, but it's no, but it it's, should it should be a little bit. Yeah. And then well, and then it's and then it's gone. Now who are you? Whether yeah. again, like you said, whether it's someone retiring from the military or even retiring from a civilian job. Yep. Um we had uh, I had a professional baseball player on on the show, and he got injured, and and his career was over. And who am I? Who am I? Right? Yeah. And so it's critical for all of us. And so that's that's gone now. So for you, in your case, so that's that's gone. Um, at least gone. you know it's never going to look the same as far as your career in the military, right? So so now, what's going through your mind, and what's what's happening in your in your world at that point? Well, I knew I needed to find something. Um, I didn't know how long it would need to take to do that or if I had to do it instantly. I didn't really, I knew I had to recover first. Sure. That was kind of first and foremost. But um, I also knew that uh, I needed a purpose in life. And, you know, being a soldier was gone. Being a football player and wrestler, that was over. Mm-hmm. Um, being a leader in the military, that was not going to happen. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, you know, I talk about people in my life and the help that I've received along the way. And, I'm not mm-hmm. who I am today without them. But I went to an event uh, that my mom signed me up for. And, uh, you know, probably three months after I got out of the hospital. So nine months mm-hmm. after my injury, I'm still in my wheelchair. Mm-hmm. I'm a mess. I can't use my hands at all. Um, I'm just a disaster. But so this is early 2007-ish. We'll, this we'll is, yeah. Yep. So it would have been and, probably around May or June of okay. 07. And, and how old were you at this point? Just for a little more context. Uh, always get this one wrong. <laughs> so I think I was 25. I was okay. 25 at that time. Got it. But yeah. Trying to figure out who I am. I go, my mom signs me up for this event. Uh, I, so the hospital is San Antonio, this events in Houston, Sugarland, Texas. And okay. um, I, I go to the event and, you know, second day, the guy, one of the guys that's putting the event on comes up to me and he says some pretty amazing words to me. He says, what do you want to do? Now, those are amazing words because he didn't come up and say, hey, man, you should do this. Mm. You should try mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. He said, what do you want to do? And I think all of us have a problem with telling people what they should do, what they what we want them to do, not what sure. they want to do. Uh, so sure. he asked me, he said, what do you want to do? And um, I, for some reason, I still cannot figure, I think I have a little bit of an idea of why, but I said, I want to be a public speaker. Mm. Now, when I said uh. that, yeah, I don't know why I said that because I was terrified of public speaking. I mean, more than terrified. I took it in high school and I should have failed because I did one presentation in front of my class. And that was the one where we had a partner and we could do it with a partner. And mm-hmm. I made fruit salad in front of my class. Like That was the only public speech that I did. Um, but I tell him that I want to be a public speaker. So you think, he it, says, you think it was to challenge yourself or what, why do you think well, you chose it? So when I was in that hospital um, at night when I couldn't sleep because of everything I was dealing with, I'd watch TV sure. and one of the channels that was on was our chapel channel. And mm. uh, it was like at night, they put a VHS tape in downstairs in the chapel and it would play throughout the hospital on all the little TVs. Mm. Mm-hmm. And since there's not a lot on, I would watch that. And it was reruns, but I, so I watched the same thing a lot. And uh, there was a story about a Vietnam veteran named Dave Reaver. And mm-hmm. Dave uh, was burned very badly in the Vietnam War. And he actually went mm-hmm. through Brook Army Medical Center, you know, 30, 40 years before me um, mm-hmm. when he went was injured. And um, Dave was a public speaker. Okay. And, you know, just watching Dave 
coming from where he was as this burned mm-hmm. guy, you know, so some similarities there. We're going through sure. something similar, not the same, yeah, but you similar. Have, you have a connection with him. Yeah, you know, we connected. You, and then, yeah. um, you know, watching where he was, I wanted to be like him. We talk about heroes yeah. in our life and who are they? And heroes really are just people that we want to be like and emulate and you know, sure. we look up to. And I wanted to be like him in a lot of ways. He had a family. Okay. He had uh, a wife and children. He had a job that he loved. So I told that guy, I want to be a public speaker. Okay. I, I don't think I had really thought about that a whole lot, honestly, before I <laughs> yeah. said it. Um, but I told him that. And he yeah. said what people say. All right. Why do you want? <laughs> no, I'm going to no. help you. I'm going to help oh, you. Oh, nice. That. Yeah, but you know what? That's just what people say. Sure. And then you, sure, never sure. Hear, you never hear from them again. Um, sure. You know, it's the easy way out of a conversation that's difficult because this guy's not a public speaker. How's he going to help me be a public speaker? Um, sure. So I'm at the event for three days. I go home uh, back to my uh, I had an apartment across the street from the uh, the hospital, still on base. And um, he calls me a week later. And he says, hey, I got your public speaking engagement. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Like he's calling your bluff. <laughs> right. Yeah. The one guy that follows through with what right. he says he's going to do, I tell him That's I want to awesome. be a public speaker. <laughs> so he gave me that, that opportunity. Awesome. He gave me That's the opportunity awesome. to be a public speaker. And 17 years later, here I am talking to over almost 2 million students across the country. Yeah. So what does your kind of what's a typical week or month look like for you with with regard to your public speaking? Yeah, so September, October, November, you know, the beginning of the school year, just um, that's when every school wants a presenter to come in. If, if mm-hmm. you're going to make a, a change in your culture, you don't do it the last day of school. You do it the first day of school. So sure. our, so our, this, the start of the school year is every single day. I'm gone. Uh, I leave Sunday usually and I don't come home until Friday. Um, once mm-hmm. December hits, um, I usually am doing two weeks a month with you know that those weeks off i'm still doing some stuff like this is my week off and i worked uh yesterday and i worked thursday and friday so that's how a week off kind of looks so we're busy that's why we were able to get you in uh late may (laughs) that's right that's right (laughs) uh but we're definitely happy to you know happy to have you on for sure so so how did that from that first speaking engagement you know through today i know there's a lot that that happened but what was your journey like it, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a tough journey, but it's, a, it, it starts and ends like this. It started as something that I hated public speaking mm. became something that I needed that first public speaking engagement that I did. It was, I needed that. I needed to talk about what happened to me. Mm-hmm. And I think too many times when we have something really awful that happens to us or we see it as really awful, um, sure. we don't talk about it. And we got to talk about it. We got to become comfortable with it because what I know is I can't change what happened to me, but mm-hmm. I can change how I look at it. And if I talk about it more, that helps me change how I look at what happened to mm. me. It makes me become comfortable with it. So it started as something I hated, became something I needed, then became something that I wanted to do. I, I enjoyed mm. it. And today it's a love. I love it. But it started with mm. something I hated. Mm. And today I love it. So, I mean, that's, that's really that journey, simply put. Yeah, from hate to no, love. that's really good because a lot of people, you know, even um, when they're making just career decisions, um, they they often think, you know, a lot of the advice is follow your passion, right? Mm-hmm. And that can be okay. And this is just my opinion, but um, you may end up hating your passion if you make it a career. And yeah. also, you're not really 
concerned with serving others. You're just con- concerned with kind of what do you like doing, right? So right. here's kind of the converse where you started out doing something you didn't actually like and, and you saw it as a challenge and um, it moved and it changed into something that you got really good at and you you really enjoy. Um, so that's, that's fascinating. So, um, you know, I guess, how did your, from a speaking, actually, I'm curious, from a speaking perspective, what did you have to work on? And, um, you know, what have you gotten better with, with regard to speaking and public speaking in particular? Oh, man, when I first started, you know, (laughs) (laughs) my speeches were maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I didn't know how to make them longer. Like, I can tell you the injury of what happened to me in Iraq in five minutes. Sure. And then I didn't know what else to talk about. Like, mm. uh, okay. Uh, so, you know, they, people got a really good story of what happened to me in Iraq. Sure. Yeah. What was I doing for them other than giving them a story? Sure. And that's what I had to figure out. What am I doing for these people? I have to, because one thing that I realized after that first speaking engagement that I had, that people were going to listen to me because mm. of the way yeah. I look and because of the story that I had. So I right. got that part. Now, if I'm going to have people that are listening to me, I need to help them. I That's interesting. Them I just to real quickly that resonates with me quite a bit. Um, in particular with this this podcast, you know, I started it and it's, it's been wonderful. I love doing it. Um, I love you know hearing stories and and, and learning and, and expanding my own network. And there's all kinds of ways I benefit from it. Um, but. I've been going through some introspection, just being a little vulnerable here with, with the, with podcast itself, you know, stories are fine and and people listen to stories. They're entertaining Mm -hmm. and we love stories and we remember them, but what's the point, right? And so what is the value add of my podcast? You know, and so I've intentionally been trying to get guests on who can add value in, you know, some are more inspirational. Others might bring you know, a particular small business service, right? So my, my yeah. point is, isn't to get too far in the weeds on that, but it's more of a mindset shift of what's the value that I'm bringing to the listener. And that's really right. what I'm, what I'm focused on now. So I love that. That's, that's awesome. So how did your public speaking change once you were able to make that mindset uh, shift? So that's when I recognized the hopelessness that I felt and the hope mm. that I got back. And today I, it's pretty powerful when you can tell somebody I will never give up hope again in my life. That doesn't mean I won't feel hopeless again in my life, mm. but I will never give up hope again in my life. I will hold on to it and I will find it and I will keep fighting for it, even through the difficult things that I deal with. Um, so when I realized that, and I when I and especially when I realized, especially middle schoolers who are struggling mm. with so sure. much, absolutely. Um, and, you know, as adults, a lot of adults look at it and like, ah, they're just weak. Man. Yeah. yeah, we're, That's we're having just uh, not true. No, my, my, my son's in seventh grade and uh, yeah. this isn't, well, I won't go too far into it, but he's, sure. you know, it's really hard. It's a it really difficult hard. time. I mean, it, it was hard for us too. Sure. It was hard for us. We forget about how hard it was. Mm. It's harder for them. We didn't have, yeah. and you know, I hate. The, ooh, we're gonna blame social media for a second yeah. here. No, it's but we it's didn't true. have that. We could escape things. We could go home. We could walk out into the woods and forget about it. But now mm-hmm. there's no escaping it with the social media and the phones yeah. and stuff like that. It's a lot harder for kids. And then the amount of um, decisions that 
kids can make today. Yeah, it's information are, um, overload. There's the the pandemic, and there's all kinds of um, factors. But I think what you're really getting at is empathy, and super certain, and just understanding where these middle schoolers are coming from in this in this case. Absolutely. Um, so. Obviously, your public speaking in and of itself, as far as your skill, you know, improved dramatically, it sounds like. Um, and so and then how did how did the, you know, Sweethearts and Heroes come to be? Talk about the organization. What What is that all about? Yeah. So Sweethearts and Heroes, like I said earlier, you know, anti-bullying is kind of the flag that we waved and that would get us into the schools. And like, but I, like I said, it's almost like a trick. Because you can take the bullying right out of the presentation. And yeah. in the end, it's about taking care of each other and treating each other right away. And also, you mentioned that word empathy, recognizing mm-hmm. that everyone is dealing with something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, empathy, it's extremely difficult to be mean to somebody when you really know what their life is, mm. when you really know what they're going through. So um, that's Sweethearts and Heroes in a nutshell. You know, Mm -hmm. we create sweethearts, we create heroes. Sweethearts are the carriers of hope. Heroes are the people who jump into action and do Mm -hmm. things that other people aren't willing to do, especially in the bullying world, to stop that bullying um, Mm -hmm. from happening. So that's that's Sweethearts and Heroes in a nutshell. But I came into it um, 12 years ago when I they heard me speak. Mm. Uh, and heroes heard me present to a wrestling okay. group in that early the early stage where i was just kind of telling my story sure. and uh they said well, you know this would fit and i didn't know how but i sure. heard heroes and that scared me <laughs> i heard oh, that okay. scared me i didn't want to you didn't be, want to be a hero no. i do, listen i always appreciate when somebody else will call me a hero i will not be like ah yeah i don't see myself that way mm. but that's not up to me to tell somebody else how they see me Mm. So I appreciate when, but I'm not going to roll into a school and be like, mm-hmm. Hey, I'm the hero um, of sweethearts and heroes. <laughs> yeah. But that's not what heroes was. I found that out. And, uh, you know, after some really chance things that happened, I ended up joining up and I said, joining the army was the best, one of the best decisions I've ever made. Sweethearts and heroes was another one because mm. I was speaking on my own, but I would not have grown if it wasn't yeah. for um, the people I got, I met at Sweethearts and Heroes. I love that. I mean, it's, and and one of the takeaways for me from that is you were doing your your best, putting your be- best you know foot forward as far as public speaking on your own, not worried about where it was going to go long term. No. You were focused on delivering value at that time, and then hey, these circumstances, this opportunity presented itself yeah and the value um, has grown so much because of that that's awesome yeah so to the listener out there you know if you are discouraged if you, you like you said earlier if you're grinding at your job and, and you feel hopelessness it, we're not saying never think about a career change but right do your best at what's presented you know today right yeah. and you never know where that's going who's watching you and what opportunities are going to present themselves because of your because of you um you know doing your best today so i love that um and so you've been with the organization for 12 years now yeah about 12 years yeah right around there around 12 years awesome um so i do have some uh some kind of rapid fire questions for you are you ready yes i'm ready so, Rick, once what is one thing that people misunderstand about you? So, I think when people first see me, they see me as um, I'm not helpless. 
But like, you know, there are certain things that I struggle with and I don't see it as a struggle. A lot of the times I just Mm -hmm. see it as my life. Like it's just what I I drop something on the ground. I might have, it might take me a little time to pick it up, but that's the way I look at it. Somebody looks at me and they see a struggle happening, something I just think it's a part of my day. Um, So I think people misunderstand that I'm not helpless. I Mm -hmm. do a lot on my own, but also if I'm, if I can't pick that thing up on the ground, I'm not going to be afraid to ask you. Um, kids, on the other hand, a lot of kids think that I'm sad when they hmm. see me. Interesting. You know, they, they, sure. they see the original injury still. And, yeah. um, but once I'm done talking to them, they realize, oh, wow, he's not sad at all. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. but I am, I'm extremely happy, extremely happy. Awesome. That's a really, very good answer. Um, looking back at, at your life thus far, what would you say is one of your biggest failures or regrets? Uh, Man, and you know, it's one of my biggest failures and regrets. But if, if I changed it, I wouldn't be here today. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, how I didn't when I was in high school. My grades, you know, I loved athletics. I was football wrestler, but sure. um, I put that on the back burner, and I didn't care. And the the reason I regret it so much is because it's not. It was something that was in my control mm-hmm. that I did nothing um, to change, and that's a regret of mine. But again, I change it. I'm not here. I probably wouldn't have joined the army. So sure. No, that's understandable. Um, if you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would it be? Oh man, Jesus Christ! Nice, Jesus good Christ. answer. All right? Yeah, and it, you know, I, and, and and it comes from like I look up to the man, but I also have a ton of questions. Mm. In 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 faith in general, like my faith is a roller coaster. It's a roller coaster ride, and uh, I would love to sit down and just have a conversation. It's a good one. Yeah. Um, if you were given ten million dollars tomorrow, Rick, what would you do with it? Oh man. Okay, I'll tell you what I would want to do with it. I would want to donate it. Um, I've always wanted to make enough money to donate. Um, a million dollars to St. Jude's. Um, you know, when I see kids struggling, that hurts me more than anything else, uh, sure. not having, especially not having my own children. Um, I would say that I would, so I know I would donate some of it. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, I would uh, give some to my family, you know, my wife's family and my family. And who knows what I would do with the rest? I don't know. I, I don't have a lot of needs in my life. I have a lot of things that I, I, I'm happy with. Nice. Um, now, what's uh? We we touched on. We mentioned briefly that you own a restaurant. Talk about that. How did did that come to fruition, and what does that look like today? I married somebody whose family owned a restaurant. Okay, there you yeah. go. So that's the way um, to do it. I've always wanted to own a restaurant. I had this idea of the Purple Heart Steakhouse really early on. Um, you know, I wanted to name every item on the menu after somebody that had a Purple Heart. The name of the restaurant would be Luis's Purple Heart Steakhouse because that's Luis Montez, who I lost. And if I ever opened a second one, that would be Anthony's or Tony's uh, Purple Heart Steakhouse because what I didn't mention earlier was my buddy who pulled me out of that canal, who was standing over me and helping me. He was mm-hmm. actually killed in Afghanistan a couple of years later. So... Oh. I always had that idea. And then, um, you know, I married my wife, Amy, and uh, her family owned the restaurant. So I knew we would own that restaurant someday. Mm-hmm. And I always make the joke, said I wanted to own a restaurant someday, just not that one. <laughs> um, but when your wife wants you to own a restaurant, guess what? 
guess you what? You own, you own a restaurant. <laughs> so how how is that? It, it it sounds like you don't do too much of the day to day with the restaurant. Um, no. What's that look like from an operational she, standpoint? Yeah, so she runs the restaurant day to day. You know, when a big decision needs to be made, I get in there. When it, something needs to be ordered, like a new piece of equipment, uh, something needs mm-hmm. to be fixed, I set all that stuff up. I do all the books, the numbers. If I see the numbers not doing what they should be doing, I right. will talk to my wife and hopefully get to make a change. That doesn't mean <laughs> it is going to make a change. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I do that end of it, and um, you know our our slogan our is a taste of the American dream. Um, you know this is a little bit of our American dream, um, an opportunity to be successful or not. Like we have a lot of play on that. Like if it's not mm-hmm. working, it's because we're not doing something right. Mm-hmm. And if it is working, it's probably because we made a team that was able to <laughs> make it work. It's not just me, um, right? So. I have enjoyed the, we bought it in the middle of COVID too, uh, from my mother. Okay. Okay. And um, we tore the place apart. We, uh, there were seven layers of flooring in it. It's 70 years old, the building, the really small building. And wow. we took seven layers of floor out and we made it ours. And uh, that's why I do love it so much. It's ours. And if it fails, it's our fault. And if it succeeds, <laughs> then we did something right. Sure. That's really a great perspective. Um, with the restaurant, what's a, particular uh issue or challenge that you're having right now oh i'll tell you so we're a sub shop okay and we are a very small building so we don't have the capability of uh making our own bread so we buy we buy from a local bakery and um four days ago uh that bakery shut down uh they made an announcement and in a week they will be closed so we are switching um to a different sub role, which now we're going to, you know, people are going to talk about like, Hey, you know, you changed your roles, Well, we had no choice, but also every role that we buy from now on is 20 cents more than what we were paying before. Mm. And that's the most, that's the biggest thing that leaves our building. That's the thing that leaves our building the most. So 20 cents on every role, we have to figure out how to now make up on that over $4,000 a year that we'll lose on that. Mm. So price sure. change, of uh, product has been a big, big thing. Turkey is our best seller. Um, it's gone up a dollar fifty a pound mm. um, since we first opened. A dollar fifty a pound. We buy one hundred and sixty pounds uh, a week. So wow. when we're buying that much turkey and it's gone up that much, you can only make that money up in a price change. It's the only way to make it up. Mm. And it's not easy to change prices for me. I don't sure. like doing that. So yeah. that's a, that's a battle. That is a bad We are just as busy as we were the first year we opened. That first year was great. And I was like, huh. wow, this is awesome. Second year, we made just as much money, brought as just as much money in, mm-hmm. but made half. Brought huh. home half. Yeah. Just because expenses were that expenses, much higher. Expenses, um, minimum wage in New York goes up every year. Mm-hmm. And sure. um, so we got to battle all that stuff. Um, sure. But you know what? I, it's a challenge. And I, yeah. and I like it. Well, and you know. That's what I was going to say. Compared to what the challenges you've overcome already, you know, this is it. it I, I would see this. I, I, you know, this is me, but it sounds like this is more of a game. You know, it's it important. Is. I'm not saying it it's is. not important, but look, no, you've it. you've overcome so much more before, so you can, you and your wife are going to navigate this one just fine. Right. I'm sure it is a game. I love how you said that because honestly, <laughs> it is. It's a game, man, and I get to play it, and I get to win or lose, and. Uh, <laughs> 
the more I practice, the the more I will win. Uh, the less yeah. I get involved, the more we will lose. That's just how that works. In well, life. that's what that's really what small business and and really serving others is all about is is solving problems, right? And, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I love that. Um, what is a book or two that you could recommend for our listener out there? My favorite book of all time, and honestly, it's super powerful, but it's also a very easy read. Um, is the Last Lecture um, by okay. Randy Posh. Okay, I've I've not read that. I believe I have heard of it, but yeah, t- what what's that all about? So Randy Posh um, is no longer with us today. Um, Randy Posh wrote his book, The Last Lecture, in the middle of him having pancreatic cancer, so he knew he was not going to live, and uh, he Got was it. a professor professor at Carnegie Mellon. But um, when I first read the book, I've read it many times now. But when I first read the book, I stopped about halfway through, and I didn't read any more because there was a sentence in it that just stopped me. I read it and I was like, that is why I read this book. And so, I didn't even go past that. And then years later, I went through the whole thing again. But it was um, when Randy, who was dying of pancreatic cancer, mm-hmm. uh, was sitting at a red light in his car and lady pulled up next to him. He didn't even see her, but he was singing and dancing in his car. And a week later, he sees her or a couple weeks later, he sees her and she comes up to him and she's like, hey, I saw you in your car the other day and you were like singing and dancing. How do you do that when you know you're not going to live. And he said that was the day that he recognized that he was actually happy. He wasn't just putting on a face for everyone else because in the beginning, that's what I did. I thought mm-hmm. I did. I thought I was smiling because I was supposed to, it was making other mm-hmm. people's day better. Um, but mm-hmm. guess what? When there's no one else in the room right. and you're still singing and you're still smiling, <laughs> you're not doing that for other people. Sure. Um, that means yeah. you're happy. So yeah. when I read that part, I was like, holy crap, man, I am happy. I love that. That's really good. Um, what's an occupation that you'd like to try uh, that's totally off the wall, not restaurant or public <laughs> speaking related? Oh, man. I always wanted to be a police officer growing up. So that was part of the reason that military was in my uh, in my path. And I thought I would sure. join the uh, police force. Some kind of investigator. Of some okay, sort. Yeah. I love trying to solve a mystery like that's just interesting to me. I feel like I can solve them all <laughs> if I uh, dedicate myself to them. So some kind of investigator in the um, in the police world. Awesome. Love it. Um, what's a question that I have not asked that you wish I had? Oh, man. Um, Rick, how do you hear with no ears? Rick, how do you hear with no ears? <laughs> what? <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's my favorite question when a fifth grader asks. <laughs> That's, awesome. That's hilarious. That's that's really good. I love it. The, the sense of humor there. Um, <laughs> you gotta have one, man. If you look like me, you gotta have a sense of humor, or you're screwed. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you how you like to serve others because it's pretty pretty evident with sweethearts, sweethearts and heroes. Yeah. Um, so it's fantastic. Um, where can our listeners find you online, Rick? Sweetheartsandheroes.com. Um, that's the way to connect our organization. Uh, my bio is on there. So if you want to read more about myself, it's on there. I have a website as well, rickyears.net. It's a terrible website, so don't check it out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I built it and I have not touched it in a very long time, but you can find more information on there. And then any of the 
uh, Instagram. Uh, we have a ton of stuff on YouTube. Uh, just, you know, just search for Sweethearts and Heroes and you'll find a lot of stuff on us. Awesome. I love that. I think I'm going to start using that reverse psychology. Don't check out my website. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> now people are going to look at it and they're like, oh, now I see why he said that. He was, he was <laughs> right. Terrible. And I oh, don't even own rickyers.com. Go figure. Okay. Somebody else owns that one. Maybe that's in your, in, in your future. Um, in my future. Well, Rick Yaris, this has been fantastic, man. Um, I really thoroughly enjoyed this and I know our listeners are going to get a ton of value. So thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Jamie, this was awesome. Um, awesome, awesome. That's all I can say. I've done a few podcasts in my life and you know what? This is number one. Well, it's an, it was an easy interview for me, that's for sure. So thanks a lot, Rick. Really thank appreciate you, Jamie. it. Thank you, Jamie. I appreciate it. And to the listener out there, thank you for spending your most valuable resource with us. And that is your time. Don't forget to check out our website or no, don't check out our website, <laughs> adversity2abundance.com. It's the number two, adversity2abundance.com. And certainly share this episode and this podcast in general. If you enjoy it, share it with a friend. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Investors. Have you ever experienced challenging communication or the headache of tracking taxes and insurance? Meet FiFi, a loan servicing company founded by investors for investors. With an expert team and best-in-class vendors, FiFi will partner with you to service your loan from start to exit. Visit buyfiLS.com to see how you can get started today. That's B-I-F-I-L-S.com. Thank you for spending your most valuable resource with us, your time. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and fellow podcast listeners. One entrepreneur at a time, we can change the world. See you next time. Hey there, it's Jamie Bateman. Ever felt boxed in by life's challenges? Dive into my new book, From Adversity to Abundance, Inspiring Stories of Mental, Physical, and Financial Transformation, available now on Amazon. From a former bank robber's redemption to a young entrepreneur's victory over hurdles, these stories are not just inspiration. They're the roadmaps to your transformation. Whether for you or as a powerful gift to friends and family, especially those who might not tune into podcasts, this book is a beacon to a life of abundance. Ignite that inner fire and set your course to the life you've imagined. Purchase yours today on Amazon and light the path for someone you love.